Hey, this is David Schultz, audio producer here at Bloomberg Law. Just wanted to let you know we've created a couple new ways for you to interact with us. If you have feedback on this episode or any of our other podcasts, please give us a call and leave us a voicemail at 703-341-3690. That's 703-341-3690. We might just use your comments in a future episode. You can also reach out to us by email at podcast at bloomberglaw.com or on Twitter, at BLaw. We would love to hear your thoughts. Welcome to Cases and Controversies, a Supreme Court podcast by Bloomberg Law. I'm Jordan Rubin. And I'm Kimberly Robinson. Justice Breyer says nothing wrong with cheer, but the question, Kimberly, are liberals getting ready to say Breyer? <laughs> the term's not quite over yet, so that remains to be seen, but... In the meantime, we got a ton of opinions this week, including in that school speech case I alluded to, the NCAA getting dunked on, and much more, and some wacky lineups in tow. Kimberly, tell us about this school case and the latest multi-factor test from Justice Breyer. Sure. So we did a deep dive on this one earlier this year. Uh, This is the case of the high school cheerleader who was quite upset that she didn't make the varsity team, as we all can understand, and uh, took to Snapchat to rant about um, her concerns. Her school got wind uh, that this happened, and the question for the Supreme Court was, can schools punish speech that happens off campus? The answer, Jordan, is... Maybe. Beautiful. Maybe. But not here. So the court does one of its characteristically really narrow rulings where it says, you know, we're not saying that schools can never regulate speech off of campus. There probably are times where they can, but this is not one of them. They go through all kinds of reasoning. This is an opinion by Justice Breyer. So he talks about things like schools being nurseries of democracy and how it's important for schools even to, you know, kind of create this idea or instill this idea that even if you don't like certain speech, that it's something that you have to tolerate in a democracy. So they say, you know, the cheerleader wins here. I think it's really interesting to note that uh, this is an eight to one ruling with Justice Thomas in dissent. So there are various um, justices writing separately to say, I think principally Justice Alito to say, you know, kind of trying to set more of a standard uh, for when schools may be able to regulate speech off campus. But on the whole, I think this is something that's going to have to wait for a later case. Um, I did speak to a number of people about this case, and one thing that they noted was was that the Supreme Court's really hesitant to take a lot of these student speech cases on. So there have been other really good cases that have come up to the court before that they've just had no appetite in, and this one they might have just taken because it's so easy for them, um, and they don't really have to set these bright-line rules. So it seems like the Supreme Court in general was getting ready for summer and thinking about, you know, maybe their school days when they're going off on their summer travel plans or getting seasonal gigs. And so we also got a ruling in this NCAA versus Alston case. Tell us about that, Jordan. Another 9-0. That's right. This is the case where the NCAA said it could restrict certain education-related benefits like scholarships and laptops and We talked about the case previously. It seemed like after the argument that it was looking pretty good for the quote-unquote student-athletes, as they're called. And that is what wound up happening. Justice Gorsuch wrote a unanimous opinion for the court, swiftly rejecting the NCAA's claim, saying they were pretty much just trying to get around antitrust law. 
And Kimberly, you'll recall that unanimous results was predicted by our previous guest, Tillman Breckenridge, who recapped the argument with us. But how do you think that the court is going to wind up striking that balance in this case? And also, what's that going to mean, you know, for this bigger issue of athlete payment? Uh, well, I, I really am generally loathe to read the tea leaves and try and guess at what the justices will do. If you really, really want a prediction, I'll be a total homer and say 9-0. <laughs> um, and, uh, you know, just like I picked Michigan to win the NCAA tournament because I grew up a Michigan fan. Uh, so, of course, tune into Cases and Controversies if you want to know what's going to happen in the cases before they're decided. <laughs> so congrats to Tillman and also congrats to him for having his brief cited in Justice Kavanaugh's concurrence. Now, That's right. This concurrence by Kavanaugh was pretty forceful. He noted that the case itself dealt with a fairly narrow issue, but he called out the NCAA, basically said, watch out, a whole bunch of other stuff you're doing is probably illegal too. So possibly more of these types of cases to come. And if they do come, it's not looking good for the NCAA. And Kimberly, we had a couple of closely watched separation of powers rulings this week. How did those go? The power's still separated. What's going on? I, I have no idea how those went, and I, I dare anybody else to tell me how those um, vote breakdowns came down. Now, these were one of those um, cases this week. There were a lot of them where we had justices who were joining in, like, part one, two, three B, four, seven, nine, eight, twelve, but not one, three B, two, four, number sign. I don't know. And now I'm just speaking gibberish. But so are they. That's the problem. There was a lot of there were a lot of issues in these cases, and so a lot of opportunities for the justices to separate. Generally, I'm going to talk about U.S. U.S. v. Arthrex and Collins versus Yellen um, in two ways. So the first question in both of these cases is sort of an appointments clause challenge. You know, are these people appointed um, and removable in a way that's consistent with the Constitution's kind of breakdown of power where, you know, the executive power is invested in the president? Um, and, you know, there we have seen efforts by Congress to insulate some certain groups um Maybe taking the best kind of look at it in order to avoid kind of fluctuations as the administrations um, switch over. So there's that question in these cases. And then there's the other question about, well, look, if these aren't uh, appointments that are done or removals that are done in accordance with the Constitution, what are we supposed to do about it? So we seem to have a pretty clear answer on the first part um, in a series of cases, not just these two, but in a series of cases recently, the Supreme Court seems to be kind of moving the ball towards um, more executive power, making sure that people are accountable to the executive. So in U.S. v. Arthrex, we learned um, that kind of deals with the front end of this problem. How are these officials uh, nominated and appointed to their positions? Uh, and we learned that maybe uh, administrative patent judges are principal officers or inferior officers. We don't know. Regardless, whatever they're doing now does not fit within the Constitution. And then in Collins versus Yellen, we're dealing with the back end problem here is whether or not they can be fired by the president. And again, the Supreme Court goes with a more robust power for the executive. Now, I'll say that this Collins case had a really immediate effect. Biden mm-hmm. fired the Trump uh, nominee uh, within hours of the Supreme Court issuing this ruling and there's put an acting um, person in place. But that's just the first part of the question. The second part of the question is, so what? 
we don't know who knows what we're going to do. These cases are all over the map. Um, you know, the conservatives stick together pretty closely on the first question, but on the second question, there's no sticking together. So um, I think the other interesting thing to note is this is all kind of part of this idea of um, severability. The idea is, you know, if you have a part of a statute that isn't constitutional, what are you supposed to do about it? And not only did they not really come to a clear conclusion here, but they just totally refused to hear the case or consider the issue in California versus Texas, the ACA case. So I think this is something we'll be seeing more of down the line. So something to look forward to, Jordan. Well, I'm excited. <sighs> Maybe something else that we can look at down the line are some robust property cases. Tell us a little bit about how property and labor rights clashed in Cedar Point. Sure. So, Kimberly, we've been discussing some unusual lineups in these cases. You know, after Justice Barrett came on the court, there was... A lot of concern from the liberals that there were going to be all of these 6-3 lockstep rulings. But this week in the Cedar Point Nursery case, we did get one of those types of opinions. And this was a case that involved a California strawberry farm that challenged a state regulation that let union organizers come onto the property at certain points in the year. And as I mentioned, this broke along 6-3 lines with Chief Justice Roberts writing the majority opinion joined by the other five Republican appointees. And the majority said the access regulation counts as, quote, per se physical taking, end quote, under the Fifth Amendment's takings clause. That's the clause that bars taking private property without just compensation. We had Justice Breyer writing the dissent for the three Democratic appointees. He said the majority's conclusion threatens to make ordinary forms of regulation unusually complex or impractical. So this was a pretty resounding win for the property rights movement. I'll throw out a really staggering stat here. The group that brought the case, the Pacific Legal Foundation. After winning this case, their record is now 13-2 and in argued cases. So they seem to have an ear with at least a majority of the court, possibly only a majority of the court, but that's all you need to win, right? Kimberly, that was really the only sort of new classic 6-3 lineup that we got here. Moving into today, Friday, Things got, as you mentioned, bonkers. Bonkers. That's the technical term, actually. Um, You can look it up in the Constitution. It's, um, I'm sure, in all articles. Uh, Yeah, so there were 10 cases this week. Um, Just to give you kind of a flavor of how many of these has come out, of course, not Cedar Point, um, but... Today's rulings, we had one in a class action case uh, called TransUnion, one in um, an energy case, Holly Frontier, and one about COVID relief relief in Confederate tribes. And here's how the breakdowns happened. In TransUnion, the ruling was 5-4 with Justice Thomas joining the liberals in dissent. That's actually the second time um, that that's happened this term. So, uh, Justice Thomas, the liberal in Holly frontier, the breakdown was six to three, uh, with Barrett, Sotomayor and Kagan in dissent and all female dissent. Uh, I can't wait till we can get an all female majority ruling from the Supreme court someday. And then in confederated tribes, we got a six, three ruling with Gorsuch, Thomas and Kagan in dissent. So, I mean, I think bonkers, Pretty much describes it and you know i've been we'll probably look at this a little more closely when once we get the remaining five cases but 
it seems like there are a lot of really unique breakdowns, meaning like maybe we have six, three cases that break with different people in descent. Um, by my count, I think we have something around 20 um, with, you know, and if you think about only 50 some cases being decided and some 20 of those being unanimous, that's a crazy amount of unique breakdowns this term. So, um, you know, something to watch. Again, I think we've noted this before, but we'll see if that holds next term. I think the common thinking is the justices like to have a pretty quiet uh, term whenever there's a new justice and particularly in an election year. So they were able to kind of come away with these narrow rulings. Um, but again, next year could be a whole new ball game to, to fit in the NCAA theme. That's the only sports reference that I know also. so Okay, so... We still got five more opinions left, right? When is this thing going to be over? I got stuff to do. So in true Supreme Court fashion, um, the answer is I don't, I don't know. Mm. <laughs> um, so I was expecting that the court would have some opinions on Monday, not that they would get all five of those out on Monday, but uh, it looks like we may not even get opinions on Monday uh, as the Supreme Court has not updated its website yet to tell us um, that, they're w- that they will be dropping opinions. They usually do so by this point. So kind of a good indication that they won't. So that means we'll have at least one more extra day, probably two. You know, So maybe the Supreme Court will close out by Wednesday. One thing to, to look for is that the Supreme Court usually on the second to last day notes that it will be issuing all of its final opinions on the next day and closing out its term. And then Breyer announces his retirement that night. Or the day after that. So, of course, all things Supreme Court, Breyer can do whatever he wants. He can a- announce at midnight, you know, tomorrow night or whenever. But traditionally, um, one of the times that we look at is whenever the Supreme Court has finished handing down all of its opinions. The justices meet in conference right after that to discuss um, some cases that they might take up for last term. They'll issue a cleanup list on that. And that's oftentimes after that conference that we hear that someone's going to be retiring. So I'll be looking for that. If we don't hear anything, it probably means that uh, we're going to have Justice Breyer around for at least another term. Well, before this term ends, we'll be with you again recapping those final opinions. Until then, you can follow along with the latest at news.bloomberglaw.com. For our next season of Uncommon Law, we're looking at the regulatory future of big tech. The giants need to be broken up. Facebook, Google, all of them. Is big tech impinging on your right to free speech? They've had unchecked power to censor, restrict, edit, shape, hide, alter. Misinformation, disinformation. It's like a big Venn diagram. We do not want to become the arbiters of truth. We're calling this series Unchecked. Just search for Uncommon Law wherever you get your podcasts.